Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa al-aqibatu al-muntaqeen. Wa la'udwana illa al-zalimeen. Wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala shirahu al-anbiya'i wa al-munasaleen. Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'ata wa sahla. Wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa hisna ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, we made it to Al-Aqsa. And that is only by His grace and by His mercy, Subhana. Um, it's an incredible privilege to be here. People used to think that being uh, granted access to the Haramain, you know, via visa or whatever was a great thing. But obviously with uh, Palestine under occupation, this is probably even more of a, uh, a greater favor of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Uh, it's a very special place. Alhamdulillah, what we're going to do today is we're going to combine between um, a relevant discussion concerning um, Surah Al-Isra, which is really the lead up to the magnificence of this place, as well as be able to teach uh, what is our local uh, uh, or our weekly live lesson of fiqh, which is logical progression. Many of you um, uh, know about that. For those who don't, this is a weekly lesson part of uh, Al-Maghrib's uh, long-term, long-distance learning, online, free class, every week, going through a text of fiqh, but of course using that text just as a outline to be able to cover other subjects as well. And we're currently in the book of prayer, and uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed it that there's a great tanasub, there's a great kind of flow from exactly actually where we are and what we can uh, utilize for uh, a special uh, session. Special because we are sitting in Al Masjid Al Aqsa. And for those folks who are online, you can see behind us that is the mihrab of the Imam. We are right at the front of the masjid. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about that when we talk about the surah. But to start off properly and officially, um, just to, uh, this, the, um, the notes that we're on in Kitab al Salah are the statement of Imam al-Hajjawi alayhi rahmatullah he said uh, once you finish from the uh, ruku'ah uh, and the person yani, who is in ruku'ah what they will do is after they have played and this is what we covered last week in Medina al that's another blessing that when he keeps his uh, 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 his back straight, facing down and straight, we said parallel to the ground as well as straight, because this is straight as well, as we said, okay? This, that's the straightness of the back, but it's not parallel to the ground. So when a person is in his report, then they make sure that they are parallel to the ground and that they are, uh, the back is straight. And they place their fingers on their knees and he grasps them and they extend the fingers and keep them separate, okay? So the nature of the fingers on the knees is that they are grasped or clasped. The fingers are outstretched and they are uh, so elongated, if you like, and outstretched. And not yani together like this. And also, as we, as we know, the sunnah used to be before that they would uh, put the, the uh, uh, hands. This is sunnah, meaning this is actually how you used to make rukur. You would put your legs together and you would put your feet together 
and you take your hands and put them together and put them in between your legs like as if you're keeping your hands warm so like this and that is how ruku would be done and then that was abrogated this action and then it was then moved to legs apart knees apart and then the hands like that so when a person's in that position Nala, what is with your phone Yara? oh here we go yep and then when he's in that position he then says subhana rabbil azim transcendent above all is my lord the almighty some people will say subhana rabbil azim glory be to my lord the most high but i don't like glory transcendent above all is my lord the almighty okay transcendent above all is my lord the almighty subhana rabbiyal azim and this is what i want to talk about today because it is also the beginning of the ayah of surah al-isra which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts with. Um, when a person says subhanallah and it's something so, so common, we say subhanallah all the time. When we see something nice, we say subhanallah. When we say, when we see something shocking, we say subhanallah. We, uh, yani it's like people are not very sure. Is it meant to be said in a positive sense or is it meant to be said in a, uh, a, a like a negative sense? Yani in a statement of shock. A lot of adhkar by that, in that way can be quite confusing. I think it's not the most confusing. I think the most confusing that word would probably go to la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Right? That's the one that people make the biggest mistake with. Something yani, bad happens, they say la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. And that's completely wrong. It's actually not even nearly wrong. It's completely wrong. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah is a statement of strength and positivity. It's a statement of motivation. Yani moving forward, la hawl wa la quwa illa billah. That there is no change in situation, there's no ability to be able to do anything except by the, yani the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. La hawl, no change, wa la quwa, no power, no ability, illa billah, except by Allah's leave. And you say it in a positive sense, you don't say it, for example, in a negative. A negative would be astaghfirullah, a negative would be, you know what I mean by negative. Uh, or la qaddar Allah. Someone says, yeah, you know, you're about to give an example of something bad. So you say, may Allah not bring it around. What do they say in Urdu? Allah nakari? Allah nakari, yes. La qaddar Allah is the kind of the Arabic version. May Allah not make it part of qadar. Or inna lillah wa inna lihi raji'un. Which, by the way, does not mean someone's died. It also means there is some kind of problem. Someone falls, someone slips. Inna lillah wa inna lihi raji'un. But de death, of course, is the norm. So it's negative-ish. Whereas positive is Allahu Akbar or Alhamdulillah. But then Alhamdulillah is interesting because it has a negative and a positive, right? So the negative is, which one? Alhamdulillah, ala kulli hal, right? Something bad happens. You say, you know, Alhamdulillah in every circumstance, yani good or bad, Alhamdulillah, right? That's the sunnah of saying ala kulli hal. And then in a positive sense, obvious, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. And la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah is definitely from that yani, category. Um, a, a positive uh, kind of uh, 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 presentation yani, or, or, or statement. So, subhanAllah, if we understand its meaning, then we can maybe get a better idea of whether it is positive or negative. And subhan is a word that is mansoor. And if you look at the end of the, the letter, when you're doing Arabic grammar, and you look at yani, how do I actually pronounce this letter and how do I understand its meaning, we have this science called Al-I'rab which is basically identifying the, uh, uh, what's the thingy? Fish. 
يس ضمه يا ضمه فتحه كسره او بيش زبر زير رايت او سكون ايفن identifying what that is at, at the back of a, at the back end of a letter to help us understand what the actual word is trying to say because obviously when it has its diacritical mark uh, changed then the grammar changes and the meaning changes so i'rab i don't know in some kind of you know uh, technical phrase for what it is. I never understood the English kind of versions of grammar. But in Arabic, when you understand the i'rab or the state of a word, then you are able to understand its meaning. And subhan, you might say, why is it not subhani or subhanu or is it subhana? And subhan is always subhana. It is mansub da'iman. It is always in an, in a, in an elevated state of, uh, of a fatha at the end. And that indicates that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is happening all the time. It is maf'uliya, meaning that something is happening all the time. What is happening all the time? When we refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a state of tasbih, when we say subhanak or subhanallah, it is always raised. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always praised. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always made subhan of. So what does subhan mean? You see translated as glory. You, tr you see it translated as exalted. And Glory, I've never understood where that comes from. The word glory or the translation of glory, all right, connected to subhan. You know, subhan comes from the same from sabaha, to swim, okay? Or yasbahun, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the planets that they are in a, their own orbit and they are floating in their own orbit. Or I think in some translations of the Quran, you will, say, you will see them say swimming in their own orbit. So there is a link to swimming or movement. So how could that be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Actually, the word in terms of its movement, in my opinion, is indicating distance. So when a person is swimming away from the shore, they're very, very soon, very far away. They kind of just kind of float and drift away with the waves. And the person is then suddenly he was here. And then, then a few minutes later, he's miles away. And subhan, when you see it in the Quran, whenever it is almost always when it is used, it is used in a big statement of awe and shock. And they said that he took a son. Subhana. May Allah, if you're going to translate it in a kind of like a, 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 by meaning almost, it's like, may Allah be free and removed from this nonsensical talk. Allah, you are transcendent way above all of the weakness of people that they say such a stupid statement or such an ignorant statement. Allah, you are innocent of the ignorance of mankind. So you are freeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are declaring yani, his perfection and you are removing, quote unquote, from him deficiency by him being yani, compared to the silliness of people and their, and their deficiencies. And that's where the tasbih or the subhan comes in of distance. That's why I've always liked personally the concept of transcendency, right? Allah is transcendent above and beyond all of what people say. So when we say subhan rabbi al-a'la, it fits. Or subhan rabbi al-azim, Allah the most exalted, the most transcendent, the almighty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the transcendent, the most high. There is a distance issue. There's a perfection issue. There's a completion issue. So that is what's being said each time when they said a silly statement allah took the angels as daughters allah took yani had a son allah did this allah did that yani from human 
uh, shirk or from human deficiency, we make perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh al usaymin in his uh, explanation of why we say Subhana Rabbi al azim he says something which I think we should define. He, sh he says that the meaning of tasbih is a tanzih. And tanzih means to remove things from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to purify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what are you making a nazh of? What are you removing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The first, ahaduha, and this is on page 91 for folks online in the sharh, mutlaqun naqs. Yani any deficiency in its absolute sense. Allah has no deficiency. That's the first thing you're saying when you say subhanallah. Allah has no deficiency whatsoever of any type. So for example, he, yani we, 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 we remove from him the concept of jahl, or al-ajaz, or al-da'af, or al-mawt, one no. So ignorance, weakness, inability, death, tiredness, these are all negative uh, attributes. And when we say subhanallah, we're saying Allah can't be tired, can't be weak, can't be unable, can't die. So we remove all of that from him. The second type of, the second thing that we're doing when we say subhanallah is fi kamalihi, i.e. that something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will do and we accept that he does, but maybe people will say that there is, he doesn't do it perfectly. For example, tiredness or for example, um, needing a rest. All right. So in the Christian tradition, obviously we're sitting in, as, as, the, as the Jews call it, the holiest of holies, right? This is the Temple Mount. This is Al-Aqsa. And everyone has a claim to this place because it has always been holy. And so of course, yani, when it comes to the first of the great monotheistic faiths, then Judaism here, in terms of the Jewish uh, expression of Tawheed, in its purity and in its deviancy, was then followed up by the, uh, the religion of Christianity in its purity and then in its deviancy. And then of course, Islam, inshallah, in its purity, but still deviancy too. And so when we see, for example, in the Christian scriptures of how they corrupted the Bible, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would never ever refer to himself as needing a rest. But as we know, I think in Genesis, it says that on the sixth day, he, he rested or you know, some nonsense like that. And of course, uh, or seventh or whatever. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He says, and we indeed created the heavens and the earth and whatever was in between that, في ستة أيام, in six days, and we were not affected in any single way by any kind of tiredness. So there is a difference from mutlaq, yani absolute removing negative attributes, and then in what he does, making sure that they are perfect as well. And then the third was a third yani thing which Athami mentions is that we, when we say Subhanallah, we're making sure that we do not uh, uh, compare him to the creation. So making sure it's very very clear that there is no human uh, comparison in any of his uh, uh, attributes. Laysa kamithlihi shay, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and there's nothing unto like him, al-basir. Even though he is the all-hearing and the all-seeing, yani as-sami' al-basir, even though they are per perfect seeing and perfect hearing, they are attributes in which humans share. So we also see and we also hear, but ours is a human form which is intrinsically deficient and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect. Now, that is what we say in Ruqwa, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. We are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the most magnificent 
way. The Prophet said, when you are in Ruku'ah, and make ta'zim of your Lord. Yani magnify your Lord when you are in Ruku'ah. And when you say Subhan, when you make yani, this, this statement of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, one of the things that you are, uh, are being careful of, and we, a, a couple of weeks ago, we gave this example of a, uh, a poem. You know, if you describe Allah in a human form or use human phraseology, there's always a danger that you're disrespecting Allah. That's why Muslims, when you look even at our sects, right? You know, if you've ever wondered why is it that we have Salafis and Ash'aris and Maturidis and what's Ilmul Kalam and why is there a big difference in Aqeedah? Mostly, it came out of a desire to try and protect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay, from the musings of people and their thinking about God and the, theolo the, th the theological kind of, you know, does God have this attribute? How does he deal with this? How is he merciful? How is he physically described? Why does he describe himself as seeing? Why would we, how do we understand that seeing? Does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have a hand? Allah says that he has a right hand. There are two hands. He has a shin. There are physical descriptions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he tells us about in order for us to know him better. Now, then people start to think and they start to get carried away. And then the, the most extreme, as we mentioned before, of getting carried away is that humanize him. And that anthropomorphism, that humanization of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leads, has a consequence. You might think, what well, I need to so I can get close to him. I need to so I can know him. No, you don't need to do that. And when you start doing that, then you become a Christian and you turn him into a human being. And then you get messed up in the Trinity. And then you have to try to explain to yourself how God became incarnate in a human being. And then when Isa was killed, what happened to God? And, and you create all this theological nonsense because you turned him, took him yani, and made him into a human form. And then you got the other extreme where you make him too distant and you make him too in a, uh, impersonal and too far away and you fall into the, uh, the deviancy of the Jews. And then you don't have a connection of love and understanding and rahmah. And that's why there's a popular understanding that the, the Jewish kind of faith or the of understanding of theology is very dry, very harsh, very legal. And the Christian one is very uh, 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 absurd sometimes and, and far too emotional. And when you think of the, the, the Christian expression of faith and aqidah and theology uh, or, or tawheed, that is how we would describe it. Very emotional. And when you don't understand something, when something doesn't make sense, it's like you just got to have love or you just got to trust or some kind of stuff like that. And of course, Islam in the middle. But yani, in the middle, it's also messy. Yani, how do we understand, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's uh, descent, right? We're so dependent upon that. You know, a, a number of folks came early today why did they come early for Fajr this morning? They wanted to catch at least two raka'ah of the Hajjud. Why? Why even a few minutes? Because in the last portion of the night, the Prophet ﷺ said in the Hadith Qudsi that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends, uh, descends to the Asma'at Dunya, to the lowest heaven. And as he descends, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it doesn't mention anything else about the descent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he then says, where are the people seeking forgiveness so that I, I, may, I may forgive them? Where are the people who are asking for something so I may give them? And so on and so forth. And when people are trying to imagine that, obviously when you think of, when you think of anyone coming close and then to you and asking what you want, we feel more honored, we feel more respected. So there is a very real desire to try to understand this at the human level. And then we have a word called descent, right? 
And so descent means you're coming from a high place to a low place. So how do we understand the movement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What is very difficult as a human, because we know what movement is. We understand what high is. We understand what low is. And so how do we refer that to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And that's when the people started to then get confused and messed up. And you started then people using human examples of how descent occurs. And that's why the latest scholars would then say that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends yani, in a way that befits His Majesty, in a way that suits Him subhanahu without yani, denying the entire thing, but yet leaving enough there to, for people to know what descent is. Yani, what does actually to come down actually mean? Uh, you know, not to then say, for example, that descent means to laugh, for example, to give it a completely absurd third meaning. No, it means to move from somewhere from a high to a low, but in a manner that befits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, as you can obviously see, the difficulty in explaining is when you start comparing it to a finite human version. And that's what we've got to stay away from. And an example of when you compare someone to a human form or try to explain something human language, this uh, poem, Alam tara anna sayfa yanqusu qadruhu idha qila inna sayfa amdha min al-asa. Don't you understand that the, the status of the sword is reduced when you say that the sword lasts longer than the stick? Right? It's a, it's a, this poetry, this line of poetry, if, uh, what's it basically trying to say? The first line, don't you see that you are dissing the sword when you say a statement which is a correct statement that the sword lasts longer than a stick. Does that make sense? When you say a sword lasts longer than a stick, well, of course it lasts longer than a stick, right? You just, you know... It's a comparison. Uh, Compar huh? comparison. Yeah, you just made a comparison which has disgraced the sword. Yani the, the stick shouldn't be on the same page as the sword, shouldn't be in the same book as the sword. So when you say and compare Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even in human language, you've got to just stop and pause. You're using human ideas and understandings to describe the divine and the perfect. And that's why we say subhanallah and subhanak and so often as well in order to protect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from deficiency and being too close in terms of comparison to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and there are many ayats that describe that uh, uh, power, okay? Uh, uh, when we say Rabbi Al-Azim, Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim in Ruqua, Sheikh Uthameen says, Azim fi zatihi wa sifatihi, fa innahu subhanahu wa ta'ala fi zatihi a'adham min kulli shay. Yawma natwi al-sama' qadayi al-sijli lil-kutub. Kama badana awwala khalqin nu'idu wa'adan alayna inna kunna fa'ileen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Anbiya, verse 104, uh, uh, just to describe his power on that day we shall roll up the skies and you see even as I'm doing it now I feel yani, uh, haraj. I feel uh, I feel a reticence yani, to describe okay what's happening here but we should roll up the skies as a writer rolls up his scroll so a writer you know when they finish doing their writing on the scroll then they roll it up yes so a human example is given but he has the al-mathal al-a'la, he's given the perfect example. So on that day, we, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, referring to himself in the royal we, we shall roll up the skies as a writer rolls up the scroll, we shall reproduce creation just as we produced it in the first time. This is our binding promise and we shall certainly do all those things. Give me a mushaf please, give me a mushaf. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا 
وقبته يوم القيامة والسماوات مطويات بيمينه سبحانه وتعالى عما يشركون الله سبحانه وتعالى says these people have no grasp of Allah's true measure they did not يعني give him the respect that he deserves they didn't يعني وما قدر الله حق قدره they did not يعني understand him respect him they did not give him the true يعني measure they weren't able to appreciate it on the day of resurrection the whole earth will be in his grip the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand the heavens all of it will be rolled up in his right hand subhana subhana people will translate that as glory be to him we will say transcendent and supreme and perf perfect he is and he is far above the partners that they uh, ascribe to him far above the partners the weakness the human ideas the ideologies the way they restrict him subhanahu wa ta'ala how people have done through all different civilizations okay now um if you understand this now that you're meant to be making ta'zim of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your ruku'a and making tasbih of him you now can understand why it's forbidden to recite the Quran in Ruqua. When you are in Ruqua and you're using yani, the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is Al-A'adham Shay, it is the greatest of form of dhikr, you are not yani, to be using that in a position because when you make ta'zim, how do you do that? You do that in two ways, physical and verbal. The verbal, we've made it clear, easy. That's saying subhanahu rabbil azim, right? To actually use the statement of Al-Uthma, okay? But the physical is the position. And that position is one of utter humiliation and subjugation to bow in front of someone. And when you're in a position of al-inhina, as we say, when you are in a subjugated statement, a position, you do not يعني, uh, 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 put the high and the perfect in a subjugated position. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited the Quran being recited in ruku' and in sujood. Just to finish this so that I can go on to subhanallah, the asra bi abdi, to use the same. Uh, 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 word, what, uh, is it uh, when you're in ruku'a? Uh, uh, is, is it just yani, uh, Subhan Rabbi Al Azim that we say? Because the author said when you're in ruku'a, that's all you say, Subhan Rabbi Al Azim. And he also mentioned only just once. There's, what do you think? Other narrations as well. Other narrations of what? Other narrations of Subhan Rabbi Al Azim no, or of dhikr for ruku'a? Yes. Okay, so Subhan Rabbi Al Azim, first of all, how many times? Three. Three? Well, once as a minimum. Seven? Once? So what's the way to answer it legally? Once as a minimum. What should we be taught when I ask the question, how many times, what should your immediate question back be? Question. There should be a question. Because when I say in English, how many times, right? You should be saying, no, we need a more accurate question. My question isn't accurate. What do you need to know? Is, are you talking about the obligatory tasbih or how many times you want? So I then say, oh yeah, yeah, I mean obligatory. So what's the obligation? Which is therefore, you can say, what's the minimum legal obligation? Once, correct. Okay, once, subhan rabbil azim, once is what we call a bare minimum. And then, then if I would say, okay, and then you would say, but it's sunnah. And then what would you say? Three. Is that the correct answer? Three? Plus. Or is it odd? Or is it a mixture? Or 
And that's going to come, inshallah, in its right place when we come to wajibat salah But there's no doubt that one is a bare minimum, three is a common practice, and it is sunnah to increase number in odd, yani, uh, odd, uh, odd what? Numbers. numbers? Odd numbers? Denomination. Denomination? I think that's the better uh, phrase. Uh, 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 odd denominations. And also to vary it. Vary it. How do we vary it? Who can give me some variations? Yeah, and is it just okay to say Subhan Rabbil Azim? Are you just meant to be saying that all the time? Subhan Rabbil Azim wa bihamdi. What do you think about that? Subhan Rabbil Azim wa bihamdi. Anyone? Hadith Sahih. The Prophet used to say that. You know why he used to say that? Who can tell me why the Prophet used to say that? Subhan Rabbil Azim wa bihamdi. Anyone can tell me? Why? Yes, why? Why would he say Subhanahu Rabbil Azim wa bihamdi? It is a response to an ayah of the Quran. Which ayah and what kind of response? Look at the words. Subhana Rabbil Azim wa bihamdi. Subhan Rabbil Azim wa bihamdi. That's the dua, the dhikr in, in ruku'ah. Which ayah can you see in that? Which ayah? Okay. إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدَخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا فَسَبِّحْ فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكِ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ The Prophet ﷺ would recite this ayah uh, in the surah and as a command فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكِ and make tasbih and make praise of your Lord and seek forgiveness from him. So that would that was a command from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he would respond and he made ta'wil. So he'd say the ayah and Ya Allah I'm responding to what you just told me to do in the ruku'. So he would say, Subhana Rabbi al Azim, that's making tasbih, okay, and Azim of Allah, wa bihamdihi. So that's one. Okay, any others? Yes, subhanakallahumma bihamdik, astaghfiruk wa atubu ilayh. Again, another ta'wil of the same hadith. Another? Subbuhun quddusun rabbul malaikati wal ruh. All right, that's also authentic. Also, yani from the sunnah. And also to be said. Any more? There are a number. And it is required for us, yani, to mix it up. A lot of people, they don't have these different variations. That's why their salah is so dead. That's why they don't know, yani, when they're in ruku'ah, it's all just one movement because you're just sticking to the same thing that your mom and dad taught you and never ever ventured out anywhere from that. And that's why uh, people are on autopilot in their prayer. And a person yani, should every once in a while just try to use a different one or at least memorize it, especially when they're so small. You know, people, they get scared of learning a new surah, you know, to you know, spice up their salah. They stick to qulhullah ahad because it's so difficult to learn a new surah, yani, which is probably another four or five ayat. Okay, then. Four or five new words then, khalas, yani for your adhkar, right? That's all you need. Now, um, the real question should be, are these replacements or are they additions? Yeah, and if a person says, Allahu Akbar, and he goes into ruku'ah, he goes, Subbuhun quddusun rabbul malaikat wal ruh. Subbuhun quddusun rabbul malaikat wal ruh. Sami Allahu liman hamida. What do you think? We need subhanahu rabbil azim. Do we need subhanahu rabbil azim? Yes. So you're saying that all of these extras are what then? Additions? 
Yes. So to be said, yani, always in combination. Yes. One combination. What would you mean one combination? Yani, only one addition to the to the asl. Asl. We'll, we'll, we'll call for the time being, Subhan Rabbi Radim as the asl. Yeah. The original state. The status quo. Sorry. The asl. The status quo. Subhan Rabbi Radim. So we're adding to that and keep on adding. Yes. Or keep on adding. Okay. What did we say? For those who weren't here, but those who were here, uh, who did cover this, the the thana or sana as Pax like to call it. Yes. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Yes. Yes. Remember when we did that? Yes. So are there other versions? Yes. And what did we say if there are other versions? What's another version of the thana? Sana at the beginning. We start the prayer before Fatiha. No, no, not uh, not Subhanakallahumma bihamdika wa tabarakasmuka. We got that. That's the full. Yani normal one, yeah? Subhanakallahu bihamdika wa tabarakasmuka wa ta'ala jadduka wa la ilaha ghayruk. We all know that, yeah? So, are there other? Yes, inni wajahdu wajhi lillah. Okay, any others? Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya. Okay, these are, and Allahumma ba'id bayni wa bayna khatayaya. Yani that is the most authentic of all of them. Bukhari Muslim has this hadith, right? When you use these more authentic versions of the thana or, or du'a'ul istiftah, as it's called correctly in Arabic, okay, or in the sharia, what do we say about these? Do they go in addition or replacing? Replace. Replacing. Replacing. Difference in status between that and subhanahu There's a difference between the istiftah, which is either or, and you're saying, and subhan rabbil azim because we've said it's wajib to say it once we said it's wajib to say it once okay it's, it's not wajib to have any nice open. good well done we said that it is permissible indeed in fact it is recommended and encouraged for us to to chop and change and to swap and it comes to the tasmiyah or the when it comes to the istiftah or thana at the beginning use one one day use another another day and that of course yani, as, as you remember what we said alhamdulillah essentially is a dua and when you're making a dua, you, are, you set yourself up for the dua. And so if you're feeling in the mood yani, that you want to really ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala something, then you would use an opening of the prayer that praises Allah more. Right? It depends upon mood. It depends upon your need. Remember, the prayer is not just some ritual kind of thing. The prayer is meant to work for you. It's your opportunity to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So anyway, I want you to think that you use different ones according to the mood. But subhanahu rabbi al-azim, there are some scholars that a rare minority that said it replaces. It does replace. Yani Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim can be replaced by Subbuh and But the class position and my position is that you should never go away from at least saying one Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim and then add as many as you possibly can. It makes the prayer position alive. You add yani in your tasbih and so on. That's all I want to say about the, the tasbih when it comes to the actual uh, position of ruku'a. But what is this connection to where we are? What is the connection of the word? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi layla. Okay? Subhanalladhi asra. And transcendent and how perfect is he, alladhi. Allah doesn't even mention his own name because he wants to make it clear that only he, subhana, can be described in this perfect sense. Alladhi asra bi'abdihi layla that took his servant on the night journey 
in that night من المسجد الحرامي إلى المسجد الأقصى الذي باركنا حوله لنريه من آياتنا إنه هو السميع البصير He took him subhanahu from al-masjid al-haram ila al-masjid al-aqsa to al-masjid al-aqsa masjid al-haram is the the sacred mosque or the sanctuary ila al-masjid al-aqsa until the furthest mosque or the farthest mosque the surroundings of which we had blessed in order that we would show him our signs and indeed he is the all-hearing the all-seeing subhanalladhi asra Yani when you think about the, the hadith about this, and we know that this is called the Isra al-Mi'raj, and Sheikh Yasser will speak about that when he arrives, uh, inshallah, tomorrow. Oh, he arrives today, but he will speak about it tomorrow, inshallah. The Isra al-Mi'raj is something that we know a lot about. It's an incredible yani, event in our history, but um, its, its function for the Prophet ﷺ was manifold, so that we may show him our signs. So that we may show him our signs. And these showing of the signs were physical signs in this dunya. They were spiritual signs in this dunya. They were spiritual signs of the akhirah. He was able to meet his brothers, his father, and the companion, the, the, the father of the prophets in the, in, the, in the various narrations. The first person that he sees is Adam. I mean, I'm jumping all over, but uh, let's actually start from the, 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 the asal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect when he's telling you this story. Allah is transcendent when he's about to say something that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Just like the Quraysh, when, they, when the Prophet told them what had happened in that night, that he had just gone from Masjid al-Haram all the way to Palestine in one night and come back and physically so as well. Not a dream, not a thought, not a reflection, not something that was shown to him in his sleep, but a physical, actual journey. And that journey has been described. And of course, it's super relevant to us because we are on the Aqsa, the Aqsa sanctuary, which the, the Jews call the Temple Mount. And it has certain structures um, and the rest of it's all new. Like this masjid, for example. This was nothing like this yani, at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu And all of these things, that, this dome of the rock outside right in front of us here, Nothing like that. And these small kind of little kind of commemorative buildings. This was a completely empty area. In actual fact, that is why it's so important for us to not be so physically attached, even though they are intensely enigmatic and beautiful and mesmerizing. It's very important for Muslims to understand that the blessing is not in physical structures, especially those that are made by people in our own generation, in our own time, workmen, craftsmen, whether it's a thousand years ago or 500 years ago and so on. We do have certain remnants. So for example, we know that the wall, which is known as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, or which we call the, the Wall of Burak, for example, or which the Prophet ﷺ didn't actually refer to it as that, but we know that the, the, in the hadith of Isra, the Prophet ﷺ said that when I was in Mecca, when I was in, in the Haram area, or Masjid al-Haram, Jibreel ﷺ came, he opened my chest, removed my heart, washed it with Zamzam, purified it, replaced it, and then we went on the night journey. And the journey describes an animal. The Prophet ﷺ said, a, a, a bigger than a donkey, like around the mule size, slightly uh, bigger, long, white, and now he called it the Burak. 
And he said, and he described it in the hadith, that it's step, it's, it's a jump, or if you like, that leap. It's leap of the first two feet was the size of its glance. So as far as it could see, boom, it's there. So if it reaches, if it sees to the horizon, it reaches and the step is done. Then the next horizon reaches and the step is done. It's like mind blowing. It's like kind of warp speed. Actually, that's exactly what it is. You know when you see the Enterprise, the yeah, when it does warp, warp speed and it goes engage, and you see what happens in it. It's like boom, and you can see the trail. It just seems like it jumps to the horizon and it just keeps jumping. Have I just done yeah, I need some Star blasphemy there? Star I don't even know. Star Trek. In Masjid Aqsa. As a, yeah, yeah, Allah, yeah, it's not right. Masjid Aqsa, truck, truck, I'm a Trekkie, I am, but we can't use a Trekkie example as Masjid But you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so he reaches here, he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and I tied my, I tied Burak to the Hilqa, to the ring in the wall. And he said, and this ring was used by all of the prophets. So there's some kind of hook or ring or whatever. And that's why some people who say that the sakhar itself, the, the, the stone, the rock, which is there, that it has some function in that it was where uh, Burak was uh, chained up. It's not true. It's not true because it was described as a wall and it was described as a, as a ring of some sort that was holding. And the hadith there mentions, and then I went and into Masjid al-Aqsa and I prayed in it to Raka'ah. And he prayed in it to Raka'ah. And then the other hadith then add the details. There's so many, and I don't want to take away from Yasser's lesson. But the point is, is that all the prophets were gathered. All the prophets were gathered. And he led all of them in the prayer. He didn't know what to do. In some of the hadith, it indicates yani, his reticence to go forward. He didn't feel himself in any way yani, special. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also yani, emphasizes that point by not saying Muhammad or Rasulullah. Subhanallah asra bi abdihi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to, refers to the Prophet as his servant, which is the most yani, reduced state that a person can be, yet it was the Prophet's most beloved description of himself. That's the only thing that he wanted to be described as a person in ubudiyah to Allah, in servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah granted him that and honored him by calling him his servant. And so he is humble in that way anyway. And he was never going to step forward. So it's Jibreel alayhi salam who came and he pushed him forward, literally. This is you. You are Khatim al You are the seal of the prophets. You are the greatest of them. You are the leader of them. And he led all of the prophets here in Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa. That's why we love this place. That's why we come to this place. That's why we pray in this place. All of the things that you will see in the tours and the going around of whatever, none of it, none of it has a religious significance. Whether you go to Khalid, and the supposed grave of Ibrahim السلام, and the supposed grave of Musa السلام, and the, the, the tabernacle of X and the coven of Suleiman and the haikal of the sanctuary of Aqsa and the dome uh, of the rock and the rock itself. And, ev and I don't want to you know, shatter anybody's dreams, but I am the shatterer of dreams. Okay? <laughs> there is nothing here other than historical developments that that you know different religions created or made in order to remember certain things in actual fact the only religious mubarak place is right here and right here not the masjid in terms of its physical reality but this ground and that's why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says il masjid al-aqsa alladhi barakna hawlahu the surroundings of which we blessed and the surroundings of which we blessed 
is the sanctuary itself in its, physical, in its physicality and also because this is the Middle East in which, in this area, we do not expect to see these plants and these flowers and the vegetation. The majority of the scholars were speaking about this particular vegetation as being part of the blessed surroundings. And of course, this is the remnants of what Sulaiman established, and he only did that which Dawud resurrected, and he only did that which Ibrahim resurrected, and he only did that which Adam resurrected, and who knows whether the angels did that before them. In the Hadith Sahih, the Prophet said that the first masjid that was created was Al Masjid Al Haram, and then the second was Masjid Al Aqsa. And they said, and what was the time? gap between them and he said 40 years 40 years so we're talking right at the very beginning this entire area was established for worship established for worship not the actual physicality but the actual yani, area the area is blessed one of the clues by the way one of the clues in the ayah of the blessing of the area is the masjid al-haram masjid al-haram actually the correct opinion Allah knows best there's difference of opinion on it is that the Prophet did not start his journey from the masjid itself it was the house of Umhani, okay? And Umhani, okay, uh, if it's her house, it was inside the haram. The haram, the wider area, the, the, the sanctified area, right? And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called it Masjid al-Haram, which indicates that the word masjid, masjid can be used in a wider sense than just a mosque itself. And that's why it is important for us to not be attached politically as well, by the way. Everyone who understands, of course, the political reality was happening between the Israelis and the Palestinians, and I should say the Muslims, is that in the, in the eyes of the Israelis, it's very important for us to be attached to the nice and the wonderful. And that's why everyone loves the Dome of the Rock and thinks it's Aqsa and only sees it as Aqsa. And there's a very concerted effort by the scholars and the Palestinians to educate them. No, it's not the Dome of the Rock. It is here. And it's not just here, but it's everything so that we don't take our eye off the board, which Muslims are infamous for doing throughout history. <laughs> and that is what something which we have to be very, very careful. Now, we must hold on to this entire area. We cannot allow it to be transgressed, transgressed upon. We've already lost so much of Sham. And this is the wider area of Sham. Creation yani, seems to have started in this area, and it certainly will end in this area. Sham the Levant. The greater Syria. We know that the end of time occurs here. We know Masih al-Dajjal is killed here. Not only right here in Aqsa, but in the wider Sham area. Whether it is in Damascus or Palestine, the hadith can be interpreted in various ways. Yani Sheikh Yasser will speak more about that. But this is blessed area that we have to protect, and we have to love and respect as well. So I think that what I want to do is in, the tonight's, in tonight's lecture, I think I'm going to speak more about Aqsa uh, itself and also why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us um, about the Jewish nation and what happened to them why in this Surah Al-Isra the Surah is uh, named after the night journey yet the fundamental content the fundamental content on the first yani, page or the first ayat is about the Jews and what happened to them and the real thing that I want to explore yani, really what I want to explore is is the correct position the position of the majority of scholars which is that the jews yani, were destroyed twice because of what they did or is it yani, that in actual fact that it is us who have been destroyed on the second time and not yani, as the majority of scholars say that is the jews that have been destroyed and masjid al-aqsa 
is a result of our destruction that it's been taken over by them because it has we may be sitting here praying and teaching and whatever whatnot but we can't even come in yani, unless it's you know the people who are you know on the on the doors letting us in so it's not yani, in our control and we're not yani, in a position of victory so it does seem actually that there is more to this than meets the eye okay and so i think we'll discuss that, that a, little, a little bit later but anyway all i, I want to say from a point of view of tasbih that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ensuring that the people who are going to hear this narrative recognize that it's not coming from a human source it's coming from a perfect source and that's actually how in, what's so interesting is that when the prophet وسلم, he came back and told that story two things he uh, he effectively relied on three things to convince the Quraysh one the starting of the ayah of the surah and that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about himself asra may he be transcendent and glorified the one who took his slave so even while i'm telling you this amazing story of Quraysh, okay allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the perfect the amazing the powerful the awesome who took his slave so he reduced the, the kind of, he de-escalated yani, me 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 kind of thing and made it about allah that's the first thing he relied upon the second thing as the hadith sahih says i was in the hatim the Hatim, you know, we just come back from those who were on Umrah, and many of you were there as well. That uh, actually, they're, they're, they're coming today. The Hatim, which is the Hijar, so you've got the Kaaba, and then you've got that semicircle. And the semicircle, of course, is if we imagine this is the Kaaba from a bird's eye view, okay, and you've got the Hatim here. The Hatim is a, or the Hijar, this area, all of it, the semicircle area is the Hatim. This is the Jadar, the wall, or the Hijar, but it is. It is extended outside of the Kaaba. What I mean is that if this is the wall of the Kaaba and this is the Hijar, and you've got actually three lanterns one lantern, two lanterns, and a third lantern, this is where the original Hatim or Hijar of Ibrahim is, not here. Which is why if a person prays here, okay, he's praying like as if he is within three meters of the wall of the Kaaba is he's like he's praying inside the Kaaba that's why we always say when a person is making tawaf and he sees the gates open he doesn't do a little cheeky jib yeah and cuts inside because if he jibs it inside and goes along yani the Kaaba he hasn't made tawaf of the Kaaba he went inside the Kaaba that's why you have to go all the way around and likewise if a person's praying and some people like to pray inside the Hatim if you pray here then you are considered to have prayed inside the Kaaba, which has an extra kind of level of yani, recommendation, according to some scholars. And if you prayed right on the edge of the wall, imagine your back was touching the physical wall, which is, which is there, you would be outside of the Kaaba, just so that you understand. Prophet said, I was in the Hatim, and I said this to the Quraysh, and they were all yani, making fun, and yani, haha, you know, yeah, you went in one night, you know, and etc., uh, etc. Et so he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave me the sight to what, look at Aqsa and I started to describe to them everything that I saw. In all of the hadith that he described, he never spoke about any buildings. He didn't describe any physical structures other than the wall and a few remnants, mostly which was vegetation and so on and so forth. Again, emphasizing that when we go around and going, wow, and this is amazing and touching, I don't mind you doing that from a touristy kind of, you know, Western kind of, you know, lame kind of approach. I don't mind that. But don't be doing no behavior custom if I see any of you any wiping things and kissing your hands, I will slap you hard, I swear. Because that's my personal bestie that is. 
Yeah, Yasser doesn't mind. Yeah, and he, he takes bestie every day of the week. But I can't do that. You know what I mean? In England, we don't deal with that behavior very well at all. So please don't wipe anything. There's no meaning, no function. Just pray as much as you possibly can here. And that's following the hadith of the Prophet that a prayer in the mosque of Al-Haram is 100,000 and a prayer in my masjid here when he was narrating his hadith in Medina is equal to 1,000 and a prayer in Masjid Al-Aqsa is equal to 500. There are narrations that you will see. There are many hadith, we'll talk about that later, that are weak. It's not 1,000 prayers here, it's 500. So the place was then amazing. And the third sign, of course, was using other companions that, that the Quraysh respected and from them, of course, was Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and they, they pulled him up and goes, listen, jokes aside, come on now, be serious. Your guy is saying, you know, your guy, your man, is saying that he went from here to Damascus in one night. Come on. And he goes, and he, know, he hadn't even been told. That's the beauty of it. He goes, seriously. He goes, the other guy said, yeah, he said that. He said, he said that. He, he said that to you? They go, yeah, yeah, he said that. He goes, well, of course I believe that then. If he said it, then it's 100% true. He goes, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, and I believe in something much, much, much worse than that according to you. I believe it comes from the seven heavens all the way down. And you're telling me a little equal distance from Mecca to, to Damascus or Palestine. So that was yeah, a real shock that there are others yeah, that we respect and love that are saying that too. Anyway, I think that's enough because it's time for Shuruk now. Um, be careful, by the way, with respect to the time. The time that you see um, on the... Um, Notice on the board, it says Shuruq. And in our minds, of course, we're thinking Shuruq Ishraq as Pax. And that that's the time for Ishraq. It's not. Shuruq actually means sunrise. So you still need to add another 10, 12, 13 minutes to allow the sun to rise. And you can see it and you can watch it and you can see it grow up and go, uh, go uh, uh, above the horizon if you like. And that's when you should, should then pray your two rak'ah. And whilst you're here, um, whether there's a morning session or not, you should remain in the state of dhikr as much as possible so that you can get the reward of the Umrah as well. The Prophet ﷺ said that whoever remains in their place after praying the Fajr Jama'ah, making dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, doesn't yani, move from their place, i.e. doesn't yani, chat, talk, you know, walk around, but stays focused in dhikr. Not a second is wasted because that makes it harder. And the reason it's meant to be harder is that it's a huge reward and offer and that person will get the reward of Hajj and Umrah completely. So we should try to seek that every single uh, morning uh, at least. For people online, uh, uh, we now can start praying. But for everybody online, we're going to show you some of uh, where we're at. Uh, we're going to show you the, the front and the back so that you can see um, a little bit about Aqsa. And so stay uh, uh, tuned. You guys can pray and get back to the hotels. Obviously, today is a walking tour. Okay. And we're going to be leaving. Uh, uh, pick this up now. Let's go to the front. Uh, take out the uh, charger, that's it. Um, uh, tonight is going to be the uh, uh, this morning. So we'll gather at 8.45 in Holy Land and we'll meet the Golden War guys at 9. And that's where we're going walking all day. Yeah? So make sure that you guys are yeah, well equipped. All right. If there's any questions, you can ask Lala. Usman right here. Right, folks, this is, this is the front of the Masjid Al-Aqsa. Something to be honest, yeah, unbelievable and amazing. And I'm not just talking about its beauty. So have a look at this. Uh, apparently, it's, uh, it gathers 5,000 people, taqriban for salah.
absolutely stunningly beautiful. There's the member. Of course, it's not the original member. Been done a number of times historically. There's a guy who's doing a cheeky turaka in the mihrab of the masjid. That's subhanAllah. From the most perfect and holiest places to the Muslims, alhamdulillah. And outside of the prayer times, they alhamdulillah allow the sisters to also learn to check it out. And I'm going to show you a few sites. Sisters pray in that corner over there, I'll show you. There's a the chief. I told you he was in good shape, mashallah. Lala, you're still working out, yeah? Sisters pray. Alhamdulillah, people here are quite relaxed down here about allowing that's the sisters area in the corner. This is Alhamdulillah blessed us today yeah, to give this lesson. Allah what a blessing. What a blessing. As you saw, everybody wrapped up and me wrapped up, Yanni. It is absolutely freezing. Salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yaakum Allah. Salam. on purpose because are oh, you dare disturb me Anita um, one second one second still recording still recording just one second I didn't want to so this is the entrance of the mystery and I know that you guys like a bit of eye candy so what do you think of that? Honest to God, could you just not look at that for the next 10 years? Just literally sit there. Allah Alaikum, it's mind-blowing. I know that your mind is blown because everybody's mind is blown when they see this. The Dome of the Rock. Obviously, its religious significance is minimal. Alhamdulillah, it's blessed because it's a masjid, they pray Salah in there. But uh, the stone itself, the, the, the rock in the middle, is something which they are considering, Yani, okay, 
to be the place where the Mi'raj, the, 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 the ascension into the, the heavens, or the different levels of heaven, happened. And, um, see this, Yanni? This is where it's about, though. Folks, this is where you need to focus. Wallah, as beautiful as that is, Wallah, it's not even 1% of this in front of us here. Not even 1%. Al Masjid Al Aqsa. And all of this, you can see the far walls here. This is what the Jews call the Temple Mount. It is known as Al Aqsa. You guys know my opinion when I taught Dominion. You know my position with respect to what I consider the definition of Aqsa to be this entire area, which is about I don't know, they, they say roughly 35 acres, 40 acres odd. So you look at the boundary walls. This is the entire Aqsa uh, sanctuary or Haram al-Sharif. So anyway, I think I'm gonna give you one more look, Yanni, over here. Just excuse, excuse the people yani, who are ruining the picture as usual. Can you just get out of the way? Awesome, man. Honestly. <laughs> Honestly. There we go, Mr. Doctor. I'll leave you on that, guys. Shana, see you yani, back home safe next week.